Let it not be forget-me-not fixed to mattress when night threatens to leave the room empty as the belly of a crow. The body is not an apology. Do not present it as a disassembled rifle when they have yet to prove themselves more than common intruder. The body is not an apology. Let it not be common as Greetings, 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 good people. And welcome to another edition of Cat's Corner, the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So today I thought for this episode, it would be fun to do a little, it's called After the Fact. Um, I think it might be a little series. From time to time, I get the opportunity to facilitate conversations. And I had an amazing conversation with Sonia Renee Taylor recently as part of the Prince George's Community College Center for Performing Arts programming. She was amazing. I'm not surprised. It was emotional just because of what she what we were talking about. Sonia Renee Taylor is an activist. She is an artist. She's a poet. She's a writer. She's a leader. Uh, she's been doing some really great work trying to create space and push for what I call sort of a humanist approach to everything. And she has this book out called The Body is Not an Apology. So this is its second edition. And in the second edition, she's incorporating some of the tools that she has, you know, been using in her workshops. And I think there's a workbook that's associated with it. So I got a chance to talk with her. Sonia Renee and I know each other from like way back when I used to do this event. I think we called it Sanctuary. I can't remember what we called it, but it was in Anna's Morgan with DJ Stylus. And I'll never forget, we would have different folks featured. So you could come, you know, hang out, but then you might get some information from someone about something. And I remember she used to work for this organization called HIPS and it was designed specifically like safe sex education, but also it was really about advocacy for sex workers. And she she's a statuesque, beautiful, dark-skinned sister. And um, I actually told her, like the first time I saw her, I thought, wow, how fearless she looked. Like she was very bold, and very clear about what she was doing. We actually ended up running into each other again, oddly enough, during the peace ball that uh, Busboys and Poets threw. I ended up stage managing. She was the host and this was the peace ball that was held at the Blacksonian, a.k.a. the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And it was just, you know, just as fearless, just as bold. So we sat down to talk about her book and to talk about her mission. And I really enjoyed our conversation. And I thought, you know, whenever I do these things, I should probably do a little after the fact, because when you are a facilitator, your job is to shine the light on the person that you're talking to and to have these and to have really great conversation. But I often find that days later, the conversation will still be sitting with me. And the gems that sort of show up after are always just as powerful as the moment that I was in. So we talked about her book. Her book is really about radical self-love. And she talks about growing up and her body being kind of dissected by the eyes of her aunts and under the concern of her weight and all of these things and how all of that plays into how she herself sees herself, how she's affected by that. And she wrote a poem called The Body's Not an Apology, which is the start of this journey that becomes the book. And the poem itself is just, is amazing. There's a line where she says something like, the body should not be preyed upon, it should be preyed to. And that thing just, it stuck with me because, you know, I don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, how I feel in my body sometimes is very disconnected. And, you know, I'm reaching, like, I guess we can call it middle age, although I don't necessarily like that term. I'm 48. I know. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. And, you know, when you're younger, 
what I imagine my life will look like or what I imagine what I would look like. I'm not thinking so clearly in the context of, oh, well, I have wrinkles or this, that, and a third. Nobody tells you about what happens as a woman to your body when it starts to go through, you know, these changes. And my mom has been dead since I was 19. So I don't have a direct connection to a mom to say, okay, these are the things that, you know, this is going to happen. And so it's been really, really rough trying to navigate the space. But I have some really great girlfriends who um, we can commiserate together. I've actually helped some of my older sisters, as it were, through the change. So being an herbalist helps me help myself. But what your body does as a result of hormonal imbalance is really, really weird. Women, by nature, have like five different bodies, like just on a regular basis. There's the body that is in is in alignment, and that might be a size 10. And then the body that's a little out of whack might be a size eight. And then sometimes you're a 14. And you know, you have to account for that in your wardrobe. Like that's what it means to be a woman, your body is constantly responding. And it often, at least for me, I've found it to be a barometer for how I'm doing. So when I'm stressed, I literally look like I swell up. I can feel it in my body. I can feel it in my joints. And so usually it's, I'm taking too much in and I'm not releasing enough. And this is when I need to go run or fast or something. When we talk about the body is not an apology, Sonia Renee Taylor is getting us to think about how we make excuses for our bodies. And reading the book was really helpful because I had to prepare for the um, talk. But it's one of those things where the divine has its way of being like, hey, I don't know that I would have read the book. I would have appreciated it from a distance. I wouldn't have read the book on my own just because it's not, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm not the target audience, but I really, really enjoyed what I read. And I really felt like she has encapsulated so much in the way of what I think is essentially humanist ideology, where if you can acknowledge that you yourself are a full human being and you can acknowledge that as a human being, you're being indoctrinated. You're or what I like to call the conditioning. You're conditioned to believe these things about yourself. Then you can figure out a way to decommission the conditioning and go out into the world a little bit freer. Liberation for me is my own responsibility. And that's kind of how that's part of my evolution, you know, and thinking about what does freedom look like and thinking about what is it going to take for black people in particular to be free. To me, it's really up to us. And part of what happens is in this idea of radical self-love. So the book goes through these different steps for how to achieve it. And it's, she into, you know, she weaves in these really great stories about, you know, her own personal journey so that we get a chance to see the human behind the, behind the words. And then, you know, I joked with her about how um, she also has these outside sources. As an English teacher, I appreciate the outside sources. Not that they're necessary, but I do appreciate them because it, it helps, I think, to have a list of things that she's used to go back to. So we joked about that. And, you know, she's living in New Zealand. And, and that was a decision, a conscious decision she made as a result of the orange guy getting elected. And, you know, we talked about how you, it's different. You know, you don't realize how conditioned you are until you start actively deconditioning. And I remember moments through this journey so far where I'd be like, damn, I didn't realize that I was still stuck in that belief system because something is triggering or something is sort of holding up a mirror. And I have to be like, damn, yeah, that's some old that's some old thinking that I didn't think I still had. So I, I'd asked her this question around what does the U.S. look like now that you don't live in it? And she talked about how extreme the U.S. is. And I've heard this. I've heard this from folks who either have who are now expats. I've heard this from people who have married folks who are not from the U.S. 
I once knew a couple. She was black and from Brooklyn. He was from, he was white European from, I want to say Sweden. And, you know, we talked about, he fell in love. Like it was like a love at first sight thing. And they decided to move back to Sweden because it would just be easier and less stressful. And he said he was not as aware of his wife's race or his race till he got to America. Like he did not, like when he's home in Sweden, it's not, maybe it's a big deal to somebody, but he doesn't notice it. She doesn't seem to care. She doesn't seem to notice it. But when they are in the U.S., it's like, oh my God. So she talked about that extremism. She talked about how the things that she takes for granted in terms of how things operate, like what is the correct response that maybe somebody, she used an example with somebody she had a break in and how the rules and the laws in place in New Zealand prevent you from actually killing somebody just because they're on your property. And as an American, that seems absurd because we have this very mine, 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 mine perspective where if you are on my property, I can shoot you. And so when you think about the way the U.S. is operating and you think about the way the U.S. was built, it is really interesting to think about how radical self-love can be part of your liberation because she writes about in her book that it really comes from things like making peace with not understanding, which I thought was a really astute observation. And, you know, she says this and, you know, I can get behind this. She's not saying anything particularly new, but the way that she's going about it, I think, makes these ideas more accessible. This idea of making peace with not understanding. This idea that you don't have to, things don't have to make sense. Racism does not make any sense. It is absolutely absurd to be racist. It doesn't make any sense. And I have to, you know, when my students are reading the literature that we talk about in the African-American literature class that I teach, oftentimes they're stuck on things like, I'm going to enslave you because you because you're black. And because I can enslave you, I can do whatever I want to you. I can remove your humanity and treat you like, you know, I would anything else. And they are so stuck often on that piece. And I have to tell them racism doesn't make sense. You spending a lot of time trying to understand my racism. Like I can take you through how racism becomes the identity marker and the, and the rock that cowards hide behind, but I'm never going to be able to explain to you why it makes sense. Cause it doesn't. So that whole making peace with not understanding is a big sort of takeaway for me. You know, she talks about how we need to kind of detoxify what we're taking in. You know, the media is a big part of how body shaming and body dysmorphia and all of the ways that we kind of treat the body as this thing, as opposed to this living vessel that is housing us so that we can do our job and how we need to really kind of scale back and think about that. And it's interesting. I meant to ask her this question, but I was so wrapped up because one of the things that I do like about what Sonia Renee does is that she uses social media in a way that really counters, I think, some of the things that's happening. And I often say that... (laughs) We need to thank Oprah for how she was like bold enough to show up without makeup on behind the scenes and talk us through things in a way that before I don't think I don't remember ever seeing a celebrity show us who they really look like without the makeup on as part of the show. And so watching her get ready and watching that transformation and her talking about it, at least for me, 
was a really important way of radical self-love because it doesn't matter. This is what I look like with it off. This is what I look like with it on. And so the way that we can use social media to balance out some of this toxicity is something that I, that's not necessarily in her book, but that's something that I walked away with, that we understand the toxic aspects of, of social media. There's a lot of body positivity. There's a lot of language around not shaming and, and being positive in the way we're seeing things. And like for the first time in my life, I am seeing real bodies, you know, as part of ad campaigns and people are being forced to understand that the average American is not a size zero or two. Like that is not realistic for a lot of us and we really need to get rid of that. So this whole idea around the body not being an apology is important because in an essence, what she's talking about is how the indoctrination has disconnected us from our bodies. Because when you treat your body like a tool, like an object, it becomes really easy to forget how you're feeling or to understand that what you're feeling in your body is actually a response to something. This idea that our bodies aren't barometers sometimes I think is what gets us in trouble. You know, that feeling you get when the creepy guy is around or the the feeling you get when you're faced with all this work that you don't want to do because you really want to be painting a landscape somewhere. These are all, your body is a great way to sort of fight back and say, hey, we don't want to do this. So part of what I got from it was not just the whole idea of loving yourself and loving the body that you're in, but how the body becomes objectified even by us, because that's what the indoctrination, aka the conditioning does. Um, She also talks about, because I said to her that, you know, first time I saw her or met her, there was this fearlessness. And she said she didn't believe in that word, that she has fear. She talks about that a lot in her book and that there is fear, but It's not the kind of fear that she's like, there's fear because there's the unknown and I'm not sure what's going on. And then there's danger. She's like, so I have a healthy amount of knowing what is dangerous for me and what is something that I'm just scared to do because I haven't done it before. And she refers to the fog as this way of ascertaining, you know, what the difference is. So the fog is really kind of this space where I can't see down the road, but I can see right in front of me. And so I'll make those steps. Because that's the faith walk, right? That's the part where you're trying to figure out, okay, well, I'm being led in this direction. So let me just go and see what this is about. As opposed to the danger where it's like, hey, there's a 50 foot hole. You do not want to walk here. Or there are red flags coming up because this person is showing up as this narcissist that might be gaslighting you. That's a bit different. So I really appreciated you know, her clarification. She opened up with the body is not an apology, which I was not expecting. And that, of course, sent me all the way over because the videos that I've seen of that performance are powerful. But to watch her performance, you know, just effortlessly from her throne because she sits in a throne. It was such a treat. Wasn't expecting it. And, you know, it ended up being this really great conversation. Two black women having this really great conversation and celebrating the small wins. And so I wanted to share that because I I walked away feeling lifted. I walked away feeling really proud of her. And I walked away feeling like inspired. We all have a story that we need to share. It doesn't matter whether anybody ever sees it. But I've been stuck in my own headspace about what I want to say and how I want to show up. And even this podcast um, episode is is an example of that. This was not what I planned to talk about, but I really want to get out of my overthinking. And so these podcast episodes are going to feel random as hell, but they will all make sense when you string them together. Because radical self-love is really about not walking the path that 
I'm expected to just because of what the the book says or the or society says I should do. So I am in a lot of ways, you know, learning to walk that path all over again in this new iteration. And it's it's a little weird, but it's not scary. I have to admit, I'm excited. And I think part of it is I have this community of people around me that keeps me going and I'm starting to understand and recognize that this is literally my space. And so whatever I feel like talking about, whatever I feel like sharing, I can do that. So I want to thank you all for listening because it's important to me that you know that whether it's one of you or 50 of you or a thousand of you, I do appreciate that you take the time because you have lots of options. Um, And at the same time, I'm doing this for myself. So I don't know, go figure. So let's talk about the takeaways because there were some really great takeaways from that talk that I wanted to make sure that I got down. First and foremost, that radical self-love is an everyday practice. Every day you wake up, you have to decondition. Every day I wake up, I have to be thankful that I woke up, you know, be like, ah, I'm still here. I got work to do, but do it in a way that's gentle and compassionate towards myself so that I can do that that work. Radical self-love, you know, Sonia said something that I thought was really dope. She only gives from her overflow. So she's like, I pour into myself first. And when my cup is full and running over, that's when I help other people out. But if my cup is not full, you will not get anything from me. And I thought that was a great image of, yeah, use the overflow. So that's my new thing now. You, I'm going to use the overflow. And that meant this week I got a lot of sleep and that felt really good. But it means every day waking up and being really mindful and thankful, but at the same time radical in this idea of putting the self first and at the center. Second takeaway, the fog. The fog is scary, but it is permeable. In the book, she talks about this. Like, yeah, you know that it's a thin, gaseous thing and it's in the way But with the right amount of sun, with the right amount of light, you can burn it off little by little. So it's okay if you can't see the road five feet down. What can you see in front of you is what you should be focused on. And I like that because I do think that a lot of us are dealing, we're in our fog state, trying to figure things out, not really sure, but knowing that that we're protected and that something is pulling us on. And so that part is important. So when we think about the fog, when you're in the fog, don't worry about what's down the road, worry about what's in front of you. And then third takeaway, we all have a story. We all need to write it, if for no other reason than to remind yourself of your own survival. So everything doesn't have to be a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I love that so many Black folks are writing. I love that so many Black folks are getting published, but we don't have to get caught up in that. I think when you're 60, 70 years old, you might want to look back and see how you manage some things because it's important, I think, to be okay with, how you've worked it out. I don't know. Something about the writing space can be really helpful. And I have 10 pumpkins. And so part of me is feeling really compelled to share, to write some of this down for them. And there is an episode coming about the pumpkins because I've been thinking a lot about how I show up as an auntie and how blessed that space feels. So part of me wants to write some of it because I want them to have something, you know, when I'm no longer here. So that's it. I like these short episodes. I have to say, this is, you know, you get it all in and you get it done. Um, I appreciate you all for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, be you and be well. For the body is not an apology. The body is deity. The body is God. The body is God. The only righteous love who will never need repent. Repent. 
Hey folks, just wanted to take a minute to say thank you so much for listening to Cat's Corner, the podcast. If you would like to follow me on social media, please do so. I'm at K-A-T-S-K-O-R-N-E-R-C-O, Cat's Corner Co. on both IG and Twitter. You can also follow my company, Lil Sosa Productions, at LSP underscore on the go. That is both at IG and Twitter. And always feel free to come visit us at www.lilsoso.com. L-I-L-S-O-S-O dot com. Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it.